good. You guys excited about this Easter season? I love all of these extra uh, things that we're adding in. Derek, this is so cool. So good. Awesome. Well, welcome to Dayspring. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Nate Harris. I'm one of the associate pastors here. want to welcome you. We're, we're doing a series um, called, what is our series called? Journey to the Cross. There we go. I didn't write it on my notes. I just have series. Journey to the Cross. There we go. Uh, week one uh, was Mary anoints Jesus. Week two was untie your donkey. Steve did a fun job on that one. Uh, week three with a value of fellowship um, was the uh, foot washing of Jesus. And we're on week four. So we've got six weeks. Week four this week, um, we're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, and I have that one titled, Watch and Pray. So let's pray real quick. So Father, this morning, uh, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. Uh, we ask that, um, that as the word of the Lord is shared this morning, as we dig into um, scripture, that you would just inspire our hearts, that you would awaken our hearts, that you would fascinate us with your love, that you would bring an alertness to our spirits, that we would see and know what you're doing, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear um, what you're doing right now um, in our church, in our city, uh, and in the nations. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So watch and pray. So we're going to pick up the story. Uh, Jesus had finished having Passover meal with his, his 12 disciples. Judas, you know, leaves. Jesus washes uh, the 11's feet, and then they get up from there, and they go out to a garden on the Mount of Olives um, called the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to pick up the story in uh, Matthew 26. I've got a few slides up here with scriptures. I've just got the, kind of the highlight of the scriptures that I'm going to be honing in on, but I'm going to read a couple verses ahead of that, <clears throat> but Jesus went to, this is Matthew 26, I'm going to start in verse 36, um, but we're going to work our way down here to verse 41. Uh, then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which if you don't know, that's John and James, um, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, so he's just with the three disciples now, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the cup he's talking about is the cup of judgment that he's about to drink on the cross. In verse 40, he says, And he came to his disciples. So he's over there praying his heart out. And he comes to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he goes ahead the second time and he prays and he, come, and he says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And, and, and the story continues and he comes back and they're asleep again and he rebukes them again. Um, but I want to hone in on that word watch. A lot of times we pray, and our prayers can be very circumstantially focused, right? 
Derek was just mentioning this earlier. Just, you know, we have a need, and we don't recognize sometimes what the Lord's calling us to is greater than just the present need in front of us, right? There's something that he wants us to sow into, right? The purpose of the, the harvest coming back to us isn't so that we can hoard it, right? And sometimes our prayer life can become like that. We, <clears throat> we're praying for something, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we're praying from a place of need and praying from a place of, you know, either frustration or anxiety when the Lord wants us to pause and he wants us to watch what he's doing first and then pray from that place of strategy, from heaven's strategy. The Greek word for watch is, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's Gregorite, sounds good, and it means to keep awake or to stay awake, to be on alert, to be vigilant to stay alert, be watchful, and to wake up. So Jesus, Jesus used this, actually, this word in the New Testament was used predominantly by Jesus when he was sharing parables. So I find it really interesting. He, he liked this word. He probably used this word a lot with his disciples. But my question is, what was Jesus wanting James, John, and Peter to watch? Why was he wanting them to stay awake? Was it to be on guard, to keep an eye out for the temple guards that were coming with Judas? Was it just a, was it just a situational watching? Or was it something more significant that he was inviting them into? If we look at verse 41, he says to watch and pray. And then he adds a, a, a reason behind it, right? So there's a cause and effect. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. So there's this spiritual awareness that comes when we watch so that we can pray strategically so that we don't fall into temptation, okay? So I want to look at the context of, what they were, of the situation they were in where Jesus asked them to watch. One of the words that I was thinking of when I wrote this sermon was the word oblivious. You guys know what that word means? I wrote the definition down, but I took it out of my notes because I was trying to, you know, tighten it up a little bit. But sometimes we walk through life oblivious of what's happening around us, and it costs us a lot, right? And if we were aware of the strategy of the enemy that was going on and what the Lord wanted to do, we would respond differently. Just a funny story, a couple, couple years ago, I would, how many of you guys know Rance? Rance Lofsgaard, he used to be at Dayspring. Uh, he's, over, he's in uh, Dubai, actually, right now. But <clears throat> anyways, Rance and I and uh, Chris Doughty. Anybody know Chris Doughty? Chris, they're hilarious guys. So we were out on a walk one night, and we're on the trail. We're going, you know, kind of through a wooded area. And we're just walking along, having a great time, got our flashlights out, you know. And we come up, and Rance sees some, some eyes up ahead on the trail. And he's like, hey, there's something up there. And I was like, yeah, it's probably, a, you know, fox or raccoon or something. And we're just, you know, do 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 And we get up there, and we're just kind of looking around. And there in the bushes, like 20 foot from us, is a full-size mountain lion. Now, I won't, I won't go too deep into the body language of the three of us, but there was a shift. We were oblivious. We were happy, and oh, you know, life's good. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, you know, we, we're like backing up. You know, Rance, Rance is, uh, you know, I had my pistol in my, you know, I, I carry my pistol sometimes when I'm, 
you know, out on the trail at night. But I had my pistol in my pocket, and so I pulled it out, you know, had it ready. But Rance, you know, he was behind me like, I mean, I was like his human shield. You should have seen the guy. I felt like I couldn't barely walk because he was like, you know, Rance, if you're watching this, you know, <laughs> you'll get a kick out of it. But anyways, we ended up, you know, hightailing it out of there. But we were oblivious. You know, sometimes they have that, that phrase, ignorance is bliss, right? The Lord doesn't want us to live in bliss when there's danger around the corner. Amen? And so Jesus was trying to prepare Peter, James, and John for what was about to happen. He was trying to get them ready for it. They had no clue that the guards were going to show up in a little bit. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew what they were about to face. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't have these words of Jesus, this, you know, him crying out to the Father for the cup of judgment to pass and his will to be done. We wouldn't have these beautiful moments of Jesus' prayer life if the disciples had not paid attention for a while. Like, I wonder what else Jesus prayed when they did fall asleep. Man, I'd love to know. It would be so cool. But I want to go back to this, the context of where they're at. Gethsemane. Uh, the word Gethsemane, it should be up on the screen here. We're going to look at the definition. It, it just means, Gath means a wine press. Uh, Shaman means of oil. So it's, an, it's an, a, a wine, or an oil press, right? It's an olive oil press, basically. And I've got some pictures, if you guys could pop up the first one. Uh, it was a two-stage process. And we're... We're seeing Jesus here crying out at a place where olives are first crushed. And, you know, this donkey or an ox would travel around. And this big heavy wheel would crush the olives. Um, I don't know how many. We don't have a lot of olives growing, you know, around these parts. But, you know, I've been to Lebanon several times. And, you know, they have olive trees there. And they, have, they, have, they actually have mountains of just olives, like, you know, over a whole mountain. It's super cool. But if you take an olive and you try to break it, I mean, it is like almost as hard as a rock, right? So they ripen up, they pull them off, and they have to crush that outer shell to get down to the oil inside and the juices inside. So the first step is just breaking those skins. And then you can bump it to the second slide. And then after that process, they take those broken olives and they put them in baskets that are tightly knit enough so that the olive, you know, flesh stays in. And then they put heavy stones on it, and they crush the olives. They squeeze them. They put them under immense pressure, and the oil oozes out and down into cisterns or jars or a basin. And this intense pressure is what Jesus was experiencing right there in a place that was known for pressing olives. I just think that's so cool that he picked out that scene for his disciples. Isaiah 53, 5 says that, that he was pierced for our rebellion. This is Isaiah 53, you know, we, we call it the suffering servant passage in Isaiah. But Isaiah, actually, in a theologian, when I went to Bible school, theologians, they call the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. Because it has so many prophecies about the Messiah. But the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant. It's about what the Messiah would suffer through. In verse 5, he says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Crushed for our sins. Can you see that olive press? Right? Just, just intense pressure he was going through. He was beaten so that we could be whole. Mm, it's good. He was whipped 
so that we could be healed. And I can imagine Jesus being in that place crying out, literally with tears of blood pouring off of his face, right? Which, which I don't know if you've ever studied that, but there's a, it's a physical condition where you get so, you get stressed to such a point that you can actually sweat drops of blood. Who's been that stressed before in their life? Not me. <laughs> I've been pretty stressed, right? So I know some of you have too. But, sweat, but stress so much that blood's coming off of your brow. Jesus is in this place of desperate crushing. And, and I, just wonder, I just wonder what that must have felt like. You know, we, we go through life with, you know, with these moments where we deal with our own guilt and shame. Right? And we were talking about that this morning too. And this, just this removal that Jesus, this, this exchange that Jesus made for us to take our guilt and shame. I mean, if you think back to all those moments where you were embarrassed about something you did, right? Thank God that, that in Christ, we're not defined by our worst moments. Amen? But in those moments of intense shame, and Jesus had never experienced this his whole life. I just want you to just think about this, this exchange that he made. Jesus never sinned from childhood all the way to, you know, he's 33 years old here, never sinned. So in life, he had never experienced that sense of guilt, right? I mean, think about any time you've, you've told like a, a, a lie and then you're like, feel so guilty about it, right? I mean, I've told some lies, right? When I was growing up, you know, I'd bully my sister, you know, and then, oh, you know, and then she'd tell mom and dad, I'd be like, oh, you know, they're, they're all, you know, I can think there's so many examples of, of things I've done where I'm like, oh, I really wish I hadn't done that. And yet Jesus had never went through anything like that. He had nothing to look back on and say, man, I really screwed that up. And yet here in this moment, he's beginning to feel the crushing pressure of our sins on him. He's beginning to feel the guilt and the shame of every failure of every bit of judgment that we deserved, not just for people in his time, but for all time. My sin, your sin. Every bit of that cup of judgment, he began to drink that in the garden. He began to experience that before he ever got to the cross. It wasn't just the nails. It wasn't just the thorns. Other people had gone through crucifixion, but they didn't experience what he experienced. He experienced the sin of the world on his shoulders. He experienced every disease. He experienced every bit of separation from his father who he'd never been separated from. He felt all of God's rejection. And praise God, we don't, we don't have to experience that. Amen? There's a watching that he's calling us to. Many times we pray with our own agenda, when he wants us to see what he's done and what he wants to do through, in and through us. You know, Paul told us to pick up our cross daily. He wasn't admonishing us to beat ourselves up when we sin. Right? A lot of us will read passages like that and will interpret it as, oh, I gotta slap my own wrist. Or we interpret it as, oh, yep, there it is, I'm just a sinner. I gotta, you know, be punished for that. That wasn't what that was about. 
God's looking for people. Paul even said, talked about suffering, right? He said to fulfill the, gosh, what, I didn't put that passage in my note. It just came to my mind. But, but in Romans, he says that, that I come to fill up the suffering of Christ, what, the lack of the suffering. Anybody got that verse? No idea. Oh, man. Gosh, I'll, I'll find it later. Anyways, uh, but, but Paul even said, in my body, I'm filling up the, suffer, the lacking of the suffering of Christ in my body. Right? Somebody knows it. Anyways, you got it? Oh, yeah, give me the verse. Colossians, well, just can you read it for me? That's good, yeah. So he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's suffering. What the heck does that mean? Did Jesus not suffer enough and we should be suffering? No. God's looking for people that can be his hands and feet, that can represent him on the earth. People that can receive rejection and suffer through it, but know that that's not who they are. Know that they can come out on the other side of rejection still loving, still surrendered, still trusting God, and still accepted. He's looking for us to watch and understand how he operated so that we can operate in that same humility. It's a powerful truth. And if we don't do that, our prayer lives will never be as effective as they should be. We'll continue to, to ask for things that we don't need. We'll continue to contend for things that we were never called to contend for. When he called us to love, he called us to suffer. He called us to give of ourselves. It's important. Olive oil was very significant in the Old Covenant. It was used in, in most of their uh, temple procedures. I, I just, I just want to point out two areas where it was used. Uh, one, in Exodus 27, Leviticus 24, olive oil, pure olive oil, was commanded to be made for burning in the lampstand in the golden candlesticks of the tabernacle. And this was a, you know, these candlesticks, they, they were, I always thought it was candle, like wax. I, just never, I guess I never paid attention, but it was actually olive oil. And it was put into these candlesticks, and I, I was re reminded, and, and well, I've got the verse in Revelation, you can pop that one up. I was reminded of the seven uh, candlesticks before the Lord in Revelation 1 when John saw Jesus in heaven and how those Kevin, seven candlesticks represent the churches. Those churches are full of oil. Come on. They're full of oil. And this, this oil, it was the light that burned night and day continually before the presence of the Lord, right? This was the thing that, that was lit that the priests were never to put out. And it's what we're called to walk in. It, you know, Jesus shared a parable of the ten virgins. You guys know that story? I think I have it later in my notes here. Yeah, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And Jesus actually uses this same word watch. He uses this word watch several times. It's used a couple times by Paul. It's used once by Peter. And it's used by Jesus in the book of Revelation when John recorded it. But it's mostly used by Jesus. But here it is, and he says, he says, basically, you've got to keep oil in your lamps until I return. Church, we got to keep oil in our lamps. we got to keep that fire of God in us. 
we got to keep burning for him. And this is what Jesus said when, the, when the, the virgins, if you know the story, the virgins, some of the virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to come in Jewish culture, um, the groom would, would um, present a cup to, of marriage to a girl that he was inter- interested in. If she drank it, then he would go away and build a house for them. And usually it was connected to his parents' house. So they would just, you know, communal living type thing. They would extend the house. And so he would be gone for about a year. And while he was gone, the, the virgin would be preparing herself for the day he would return. But she didn't know exactly what day he would return. So she always had to be watchful. She always had to be watchful. And then he would surprise her. And he would show up with a full entourage of people to bring her to the marriage. So think about this. You're engaged, but you don't know when your groom's going to show up to marry you. Gosh, talk about stressful. <laughs> you're going to be ready all the time. You know, you got that lipstick, you know, makeup, and you got your nice dress on today. Who knows? Maybe it's today. Right? The bride's always to be ready. And so the groom would show up, and then he would take her, and then they would have their marriage ceremony, and they'd have a seven days of celebration. I mean, talking about marriage, seven days of celebration. Incredible. But Jesus says this to the church uh, about the virgin's because they, they were supposed to keep a, a, a light lit at night in case the groom showed up at night. And so he told this to the virgins that didn't keep enough oil in their lamps for when the groom came. And their, their lamps went out. Their olive oil ran out. And he says this. Uh, the groom comes, takes the virgins with him that were ready, that had oil in their lamps. And then the ones that didn't, they went and bought oil and then came to the to the house to sell it to, you know, come into the wedding feast. And this is what the Lord said. He says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. Watch or be on alert or be ready. Pay attention for you neither know the day nor the hour. Speaking of his return, you neither know the day nor the hour. And so Jesus is calling us to be on alert. We can't just pray our own little prayers. We can't just live our own little lives. We can't just do our own little thing. We've got to hear what he's saying to us. We've got to obey what he's calling us to. We've got to step into everything he has for us. We have to keep our lamps burning. The second thing that olive oil was used for, the second thing I'm going to point out, there are several, but this is another one. The second one is that olive oil was mixed with other spices, and there was actually a, uh, an, a, a fragrance, an, an, an anointing oil that was a formula, and you can find it in, um, I think it's in Leviticus, I've got it down here, Exodus 30, uh, there was a blend of spices they'd put together, and it was so important to the Lord that the, the Israelites, they weren't allowed to make that formula for anything else except for temple use. So only the priests were allowed. And if you made that formula and you weren't a priest making it for the temple, they would kick you out of Israel. You're out of the community. Like excommunicate. It was a serious deal. But they would mix this olive oil with spices at a specific blend. And it would be used uh, to anoint the priests, to anoint the temple, um, all of the furnishings in the temple. And it was used by the priests to anoint others. But something really important I want to mention about this oil in Exodus 30, 26. Actually, verse 29. If, I think I have that one. 
Uh, if not, that's fine. But he says here, he talks about the oil. He says, use the sacred oil to anoint the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand, all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offerings and all of its utensils, so all the stuff in the temple, the wash basin with its stand, consecrate them to make them absolutely holy. And after this, whatever touches them will also become holy. Whatever touches them. So this oil, this olive oil that was made into anointing oil, whatever it touched, the Lord made holy. The Lord consecrated it. He set it apart for a specific purpose. It was set apart for his glory. It was set apart to serve him. And that anointing oil is what the disciples received when Jesus baptized them in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Right? He said, stay here until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you can go out. It's what we're called to. That's how you keep oil in your lamps. We pray from that place of anointing. We contend from that place of authority and victory. From that place of consecration. From that place knowing that we've been given something that the world needs. That we have something that they desperately need. If the disciples had kept their eyes closed, they wouldn't have seen the real cost of the cross. They wouldn't have seen the drops of blood on Jesus' brow. They wouldn't have seen Jesus asking for the cup of judgment to be removed. They wouldn't have seen him praying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was, we've got four things here. He was crushed for our sake. The fragrance that we now carry was given to us in the power of the Spirit because of what he did on the cross. The oil that's burning on our lamps that makes us holy was given to us on the cross. And we're called to look forward and be alert and stay watchful for his return. Super important. All from this olive prayer. I just love it. He's right there beginning to experience the judgment of the Lord, the cup of the Lord of judgment, right there next to an olive press. It's amazing. A couple of practical things I'm going to touch on here. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 37 and 38. Jesus, I'm just going to point one or two of these out. I, I want to actually want to get done here so we can do a little ministry time. But Jesus used this word watch in six different parables in the New Testament. And it, the word was used 23 times in the New Testament. Mult, usually it was used two or three times in a passage. So it was used six different times by Jesus in parables in uh, Matthew and Luke. And then, uh, as I mentioned in the book of Revelation, it's used a couple of times by Jesus. And then Peter and Paul use it. Um, Peter uses it once. Paul uses it a couple of times. But I want to point out a couple of passages where Jesus used it. So in uh, Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about his return. And he says, blessed are those whose servants, bless, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. There it is, that watchful. Awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. 
and he, the master, will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. It's powerful. So there's a blessing. There's a blessed hope that we have. There's a whole sermon we could do on blessing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing word. All right, and then 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter uses the same word to describe our stance and our position that we have against the enemy. And he says this, 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. All right, so stay on alert. This is back to my mountain lion story, okay? Stay alert, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Pay attention. If we're not awake, if we don't keep that oil in our lamps, if we don't keep the fire burning, right? If we're not prepared and aware and looking, the enemy has opportunity to get in and attack us. And that's why it will keep us out of temptation if we'll stay awake. All right, I'm going to skip the Revelation passages since we touched on one earlier. Application. What's this mean for us today? How do we stay awake? Right? How do we watch and pray? All right, so I've got a few points here. Number one, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Okay? So we have to believe that there's something to watch for. Right? And then because we believe that, we're able to respond out of love. Right? So we're responding out of who we are in Christ. So that's number one. We've got to pay attention to what we're up against in the spirit. And we've got to be watchful in faith. Number two, recognize your position before God. We have a salvation we've received. If we don't recognize who we are in Christ, we'll never be able to watch and pray effectively in our prayers. We want to see signs, wonders, miracles, the lame hill, the blind seeing, the deaf ears opened. We have to know who we are. We have to pray from that place of authority. Number three, 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, I'm going to read, let's see, I'm going to start in verse 6. Paul says, let me start in verse 5. You are children of light, children of the day. Remember when his disciples, Jesus, uh, he said, I'm the light of the world in one of his parables. And he goes to describe the basket, you know, don't cover a light with a basket. He goes on to say in that passage that you are the light of the world to his disciples. And then here Paul's, you know, you could say, oh, that's the apostles. Well, Paul's here saying it to the church. You are children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. He's hitting the same two principles, faith and love. And for a helmet of the hope of salvation. Yeah. Amen. So we need, to be prayer, we need to be prayerful in faith and love. So I want to encourage you guys. We got to get together and pray. And we got to pray from that place of authority, 
that place of recognition of identity, and that place listening to what he wants to do. At Dayspring, every week, there's a pre-service prayer meeting. Was it 9 a.m.? Is that right, Anita? Anita Lee? 8.30. Woo! Okay, 8.30. 8.30 a.m. They meet right up here around this corner. Man, if a bunch of people showed up, maybe we could just, you know, do it down here. Yeah, right back there. It'd be awesome. Anyways, we have a weekly prayer meeting every week at Dayspring. We also, Farley and Kelly come in every Thursday morning and pray at 6.30? 6 to 7. Oosh. 6 to 7. Lord help us. 6 to 7 every Thursday. Right in here. Okay, so we have two prayer meetings every week right in here. We have our monthly Ascend meeting every third Sunday at 5 p.m. Friday, sorry, did I say Sunday? Friday, thank you. Oof. I'm on the worship team, I should know that. Friday at 6.30 p.m. every third Friday, we meet right in here for prayer and worship. It's a powerful time. Uh, the Lord moves. We, you know, we sit, we listen, we hear. We have strategies to pray out, but we listen, we release. It's an amazing time. Yes, we also have women's prayer every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Sandra, where's Sandra? Sandra, yeah, Sandra leads that every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. in the atrium. I just want to communicate that there are lots of opportunities for us to come together and contend for our region from a place of watchfulness. We're called to be watchmen, watchwomen. Amen? Yeah. All right, so this morning, can I have us all stand up to our feet? What I had on my heart this morning, I don't know if we could get some music cranked on for a little ambiance. That's always good. Jesus didn't have that in the garden, but probably the angels were singing or something, you know. <laughs> it's good. All right, I just want you guys to close your eyes. We're just going to pray for a minute. What I'm sensing in my spirit this morning is that there are many in this room who've been struggling with shame and guilt. And Jesus wants to deliver all of us from this heinous thing that holds us back from who we are in Christ. As Derek was saying earlier, the, the Lord doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up to come to him. He'll do that. He'll anoint us. He'll deal with our issues. He'll bring people in our lives to sharpen us. He'll transform us from glory to glory as we behold him. Amen? But sometimes the enemy puts these little eyes out there that end up becoming stumbling blocks for us for pressing into everything that God has for us. We're called to this up here, and we're walking in this down here. And a lot of the, a lot of the time, that's because we don't recognize the authority that we have in Christ, and we don't live from that place of freedom. And we just let shame drag us down back and back and back into this over and over. So I just want to I just want to pray this out this morning. And then I want to invite the uh, ministry team to come down to the front. For those of you that don't know Jesus, and if you knew him, if, if you ask yourself, do I know Jesus? If you knew him, you would. Because <laughs> if you know Jesus, he's amazing. 
But if you don't know Jesus, I just want to invite you this morning, anytime here at the end, we're going to be closing out in a few minutes. Um, I just want you to come down, grab a hold of somebody down here on the front and say, hey, I need to know this Jesus. I, I want to make that exchange, my guilt for his righteousness, my failures for his success, my shame for his peace, my crushing for his lifting me up. Amen? But for the rest of us, I just want you to pray with me right now. And what I want to challenge you to do is if you've been struggling with shame or guilt in an area of your life, there is somebody else in this room that wants to encourage you. I guarantee it. Because I know a lot of the people in this room. And I know how awesome they are. And they're going to want to pray with you. They're going to want to encourage you. And I just want to challenge you after we pray to find one of those people even if it's somebody you don't know, just be like, hey, can you pray with me? I've been struggling with, you know, uh, shame or I'm ashamed about this area of my life. I can't get breakthrough. It's, you know, struggling with lust or I'm struggling with anger or I'm struggling with, with fear or anxiety. Just trust the Lord that he's going to lead you to the right person. Amen? And we're going to see this broken off. We're going to see people stepping into callings more and more and more in this house because the Lord's bringing in the harvest. And he has to prepare us for that, right? We have a lot of battle preparations for what he wants to do. So let's pray. Father, this morning, right now, we just come before you humble and broken, recognizing those areas in our lives where we haven't lived up to all that you called us to live up to. We recognize that we have moments of failure and sin and weakness. There's not a person in here that doesn't have a bad day, that doesn't have a bad moment, that doesn't have a past or a history. This morning, Lord, we ask that you would do a breaking in this house. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would just rend our hearts, that you would expose the lie that we're still guilty that we're still condemned, that we're still living under the law of condemnation, Lord, that you would reveal to us who we are in Christ. Lord, I ask that some in here that have never experienced who they are in Christ, that you would just begin that journey with them today. Father, in Jesus' name, would you encounter, would you encounter us right now? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we look into your eyes right now, those eyes of fire, those eyes of passion, those eyes that, that burn to our very core, and we invite you to sift us. Lord, we invite you just to deal with everything in our hearts that's not of you. It's poison in us. It's not healthy. It's not beneficial. It's only there to hurt us. Lord, we ask that you would just remove guilt and shame this morning from our lives in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask right now for, for faces of people in this room that we're supposed to go to and to confess. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
So this morning, Lord, we ask that you would just put faces in our hearts. Right now, just, I just want you to wait on the Lord to give you a face of somebody that you're supposed to begin having accountability with. That you're supposed to begin to confide in. It's not going to be somebody that's going to beat you up. That's going to look down on you. That's going to put you down because of your failures. But it's somebody that's going to encourage you and strengthen you. They're going to call out the gold in you. They're going to call out everything that God has spoken over your life and say, this is who you are. This is what you're going to walk in. So right now, Holy Spirit, we ask for those faces in Jesus' name. Right now, I break off shame. I break off shame. I break off that immobility that shame causes that shackling of our feet to go and share, that shackling of our mouths to speak what the Lord wants us to speak, we break off that shame in Jesus' name right now. And if you're not struggling with shame, I just want to encourage you right now to pray, to watch what the Lord's doing, and to contend for those around you that are struggling with it. Because the Lord wants a breakthrough in this house. This morning, he wants to break this off of us. I'm not saying you won't have the opportunity to live in shame after this, but you'll know what you have available to you. Amen. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we contend for everyone in this room. Lord, we ask, would you send your angels? Lord, would you bring heaven down? Lord, would you work on our hearts? Fire of God, baptize us again in your love. Baptize us again in your grace. Baptize us again. Fill us with the hope, the blessed hope of your salvation. Fill us with your righteousness. I just see his oil right now. That oil of gladness. That holy anointing oil raining down on us. Can you feel it? raining down on us, just pouring out on us. I just want you to receive that right now. And then we're going to take about five minutes when I say amen here. And you guys, I just want anybody that's struggling with shame, I just want you to find somebody. If you're not struggling with shame, just to help those people out, why don't you find somebody too? And you can just encourage each other and what the Lord's doing. Amen. I just want everybody to find someone and just to pray short prayer. It doesn't have to be long, 30 seconds, a minute two minutes tops, okay? And just contend for that thing to be broken, amen? And then we're going to be dismissed unless, Derek, you have anything else. Yep. And we're going to dismiss. Don't forget your kids over in the other building. Make sure you go and pick them up. Amen? All right, so Father, in Jesus' name, we come this morning to contend for what you've called us to, for everything that you died for, Jesus. Amen. All right, so find somebody, quick 30 seconds to two minutes.